Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, as we continue our Prophecy Fulfilled uh, Advent series leading up to Christmas. So Isaiah chapter 9. So you're finding your place there. I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful that you join us in that way. Uh, also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto, uh, Reach Church Paola, and also the venue service right down the hall. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, let me remind you of a couple of things before we begin. Number one, we encourage you every Christmas to think about, pray about what gift you will give to Christ this Christmas. We think a lot about the gifts we're going to give to other people, but what about the gift we give to Christ? And I want to encourage you to think about that and pray about that. If you've not already done so and you're looking for a way in which to give, uh, I want you to encourage you to consider bread of life and living water. Um, we've been uh, talking about that throughout the month of December. All the, the money that is given towards that will go to help provide food packets, water, um, resources to our missions partners all over the world. And they will hand out that food and they will give that water with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we've got 17 planned international mission trips this next year. And if you go on a mission trip, there's a good chance that you'll actually get to hand out that food. And you'll be a part of distribute, distributing that water. And you'll get to share the gospel, and the good news of Jesus Christ. So pray about that. Consider that. Last year we raised over $160,000, and we're still hearing stories from our mission partners and how God used that to further his kingdom. Uh, secondly, uh, we're about to begin a new year. Is that crazy? We're about into 2024, and I want to encourage you as you begin the new year to discipline yourself and have a plan for reading the Bible. And one of the resources we like to, to make available to you is the Daily Walk Bible. I personally use that as a part of my devotional time. Uh, if you'll read each day, you'll read through the Bible in a year. It comes with a little devotional with each daily uh, reading. And uh, we provide these at, at or below the cost what you can get them anywhere else. Uh, we just try to make it convenient for you. You don't have to get them from us. You can get them online. You can, I believe uh, Mardell, some of those other places have them uh, also. But the important thing is that you have a plan for reading through Scripture this next year. And so uh, we like to make it convenient, easy for you. I say a lot, read your Bible. Well, we want to make that resource available to you. And by the way, if you do not have the means by which to buy a Bible like that, you let us know and we will get you the Word of God. Uh, we want to make sure that, that there's no barriers to you reading God's word. And so make it a part of your, your coming year. Well, Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, uh, as we look at this Prophecy Fulfilled series, uh, Isaiah is going to prophesy about the coming hope of Christ over 600 years in advance of Christ's coming. Uh, the, the language that is used here, very similar to the language that was used in, in Psalm chapter 2, can only be fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself, the Gospel of Matthew, will use this language and attach it to himself. It is the hope of Christmas. The context is that, that Isaiah is writing to a people who are in the midst of darkness, um, uh, socially, uh, morally, economically, militaristically, they're in darkness. Isaiah is preaching a message of judgment. But in the midst of that judgment, God offers hope. The Bible is a book of hope. 
And the hope that, that, that Isaiah describes for us here is a hope that will not be found in a new governmental system. It's a hope that will not be found in another politician. It's a hope that is found in the seed of the woman that we studied about in, in Genesis chapter 2. That the king of kings that we studied about in, in Psalm chapter 2. And this week, that hope is found in a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And as Isaiah will remind us this morning, yes, it is a baby, it is a child, but that baby, that child is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and there will be no end to his reign, and he will rule on the throne of David forever with justice and righteousness and peace. He is our hope. With that in mind, let's read this passage. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 9. We'll read down through verse 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there'll be no end to the increase of his government of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that uh, for these few short moments and minutes, you would help us to lay aside a the distractions, the busyness of the season. We focus upon you and your word and you'd speak to us. We thank you that your word is living and active. We pray that you would do your work in our hearts today. God, that you would illumine our minds to the truth of your word and the principles that are found therein. I pray this morning we see the beauty and the wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, maybe somebody watching online, God, that you would peel back the blinders and they would see Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the hope of the world. Lord, I pray for those of us that do know you. Deepen our wonder and our worship as we look to Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, what about our hope? Uh, Isaiah is describing our hope. Well, we see first of all in verse 1 that our hope comes from an unlikely location. Our hope comes from an unlikely location. Look again at verse 1. It says, but there'll be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he'll make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. It says here that the Savior will come from the region of Zebulun and Naphtali on the other side, the, the region of Galilee. And that region didn't have a very good reputation. 
Zebulun and Naphtali were the northernmost tribes, and for this reason, they were often most susceptible to foreign influence. In the book of Judges, it's these two tribes that failed to eliminate, eliminate the Canaanite influence as God had commanded them. And because they didn't eliminate that Canaanite influence, they intermingled and intermarried with those Canaanites and began to mix their Jewish religion and their faith in God with idolatry. Even into the time of Christ, this, this area did not have a good reputation. It's within this region that we find the, the city of Nazareth. And you'll remember, it was Nathaniel who said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This, this location, this region had a bad reputation. It, it was a blue-collar area, not, not known for great thinkers, not known for the socially elite. And yet, this is exactly the place from which our Savior, Jesus Christ, would come. It would be the hometown region of Jesus. It would be the, the place from which he would select his disciples. And it would become the, the base of operation for his ministry. And here's the question. Why is this important? Why is it important that scripture let us know that Jesus would come? Well, number one, it's a fulfillment of scripture. But not only this, it's a reminder that Jesus didn't come just for the socially elite he didn't come for the wealthy, the rich, the educated, or just the beautiful. He came as the Savior of the world. In fact, the first announcement of Christ's birth will come to who? Shepherds. The lowliest occupation of that culture were shepherds. You know, I don't know who got the first announcement when your child was born, but I can guarantee you whoever got the first announcement, they were really important to your heart. The first announcement of Christ's birth will come to the shepherds to let the world know I love the world, even lost sinners. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. When Jesus came to this earth, he came as low as a person can come, from the heights of glory to a manger, to a feed trough. Well, we see that secondly, not only did he come from an unlikely, unlikely location, he, he brings an unequaled light, an unequaled light. Look at verse 2. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Now, darkness in Scripture is often a picture of sin and judgment. In Exodus, you'll remember the sun goes dark is a picture of God's judgment upon Pharaoh. Uh, at the crucifixion, you'll remember when Christ dies on the cross at noon, not a solar eclipse, it wasn't the right time. Uh, in the middle of the day, the sun goes dark. Why does the sun go dark? It goes dark as a picture of God's judgment and wrath being poured out on Christ for our sin. It was at that moment that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And God who cannot look upon sin turns his face away in judgment upon Christ for our sin. In the book of Revelation, the sun goes dark is a picture of God's judgment upon the world. So darkness is a picture of sin and judgment. Light in scripture is often a picture of God. Light is an emblem of purity. It discloses the truth. In biblical times with the absence of electricity, light was synonymous with the sun. It's not God, but it's a picture of God. The sun is so glorious that you can't look upon it, but from the sun we get light and life and warmth. Well, God is similar in that God is so glorious, we cannot look upon him, but from God we get light and life and warmth. 
John said it this way. This is the message that we heard from him and we announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. James calls God the father of lights, which was a term for the sun. And oftentimes the grace of God in the Old Testament was described as saying, God, lift up your countenance upon us. So when, when Isaiah speaks of the light coming in to those who, who walk in darkness, he's speaking about the light that God would bring through his son Jesus for the salvation of lost souls who are walking in darkness. Imagine this morning if in this sanctuary we turned out all the lights in this room, completely closed it off from all the light, and then told everyone to head for the exit. What would happen? You would have chaos. You'd have people running into each other. Some people might even get into a fight. You'd have people getting hurt. It'd be chaos. It'd be a mess. Folks, do you realize that is a picture of the world apart from Christ? You have chaos. You have people hurting themselves. You have people hurting each other. Some people are getting hurt. Some people are mad. Some people don't care. It's a mess. There's some people out there that are well-intentioned. They're trying to fix the problem. But the only solution is for somebody to turn on the light. So that no matter how hard a person tries, you can yell at people, you can educate people, you can medicate people. But listen to me, until someone turns on the light, we're all in trouble. And that is a picture of Christ. This world is in darkness People are walking around in the darkness of sin. They're stubbing their toes on life. They're hurting others. It's a mess. And the only solution is the light and salvation of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah predicts this. He predicted it, that one day the light of Christ would come and he would enter and his light would, would, would light up the hearts of those who trust him. And, and he would be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. We see in verse 3 that not only would he bring light, but he would also bring life. He says, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They'll be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. He's saying that Christ would come and he'd light up hearts. But not only would he light up their heart, but he would bring them an immense joy. That there would be people who have deep joy in their heart, like people who have just won the lottery. That's what he's describing. Like at harvest, when men dis dis divide the spoil. Like, men who, like people who've won the lottery, but the fact of the matter is we didn't, we didn't win the lottery, but we met the Savior of the world, and he's brought us joy and gladness beyond description. Folks, do you have that kind of joy this Christmas? And you may not have won the physical lottery, but you've won the spiritual lottery if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You are eternally wealthy in Jesus Christ if you know him. You have the wealth of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. You have the wealth of sonship in Jesus Christ. What a great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. We have security in Jesus Christ. We have an eternal wealth of an inheritance in Jesus Christ. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, it's not even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know that kind of joy this Christmas? 
Some of you need to tell your faces right now. I mean, I don't know. Do you really know the joy of Christ? And we got way too many Scrooge Christians out there in the world this Christmas. There ought to be no more joyful people in all the world than Christians. We have the joy of Christ. He came. He came to be, bring light. He, he came to bring joy. Not only does our hope bring um, light and joy, but our hope brings an unexpected victory. Look at this in verse 4. Look at verse 4. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. Isaiah says when he comes, he's going to achieve a victory that is similar to the victory of Gideon at Midian. And it, Do you remember that battle? The battle where God comes to Gideon and he says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying in my own power has God delivered me. And so you remember what God says? Very, very rare for a general to say we've got too many soldiers. There's too many. And God says that's the problem. We've got too many if you guys want it with all these men, you start to think that you did it. And so he whittles them down. He goes from 22,000 to what? He takes them down to 10,000. Then he gets down to 10,000, but that's way too many. He whittles them down to 300. And when you read the story, they don't even win by fighting. <laughs> they, they got trumpets and pitchers of water. God rigged it. He rigged it in such a way so that when they achieved the victory, there was only one person who would get the glory, and it would be God. Listen to me. God has rigged our salvation. You and I are sinners. You and I are broken, and we can't fix ourselves, and we stand under the weight of God's wrath and judgment in our sinful condition. We are spiritually broke. We have no hope. God saw us in our sinful condition and he did all the work in sending his son Jesus to be born of a woman, to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on a cross for your sins. He defeated sin, Satan, and death in his death and in his resurrection when we had no hope. And he's rigged it in such a way that he does all the work and he gets all the glory. What a great Savior who brings an, an unexpected victory. Not only does he bring an unexpected victory, our hope is in an unmatched Savior. Now, there's so much here. There's, there's parts of this that I wish I could dig deep into, but for the purpose of time, I want us to focus in on these titles given to our unmatched Savior. Listen to the way he is described. Number one, he's described as a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. There are commentators that when you, when you translate the Hebrew who argue that wonderful and counselor are not one title. They're both nouns, in other words, all right? They're, it's not a descriptor. It's wonderful. He is wonderful, and he is counselor. So, so, so let's just think about it in that way. Number one, he is wonderful. Can I get an amen this morning? He is wonderful. Everything about Jesus is wonderful. 
He's wonderful at his birth. His, his life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His, his death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. The story of a pastor who was on a train. He's on this train and he had a man sitting next to him. The man sitting next to him had the window seat. And they're traveling along on this train, and this man next to him, he's looking out the window. And as they drive, as they're on this train, they're going along, the man looks out the window, and he keeps repeating, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. They go over, it's wonderful. He looks over, and this man has tears running down his face. It's wonderful. And this pastor, he's just curious. He's not upset. He's, he's actually quite amazed, but he's got to know, sir, can I just ask you why why are you so emotional? Why, why do you keep saying it's wonderful? He said, I just had surgery. I have been blind for 10 years. I have regained my sight, and I forgot how wonderful God's creation really is. One of the dangers for us as Christians is we get so far removed from the point of salvation. We walk with Jesus long enough that he might start losing his wonder. I pray this Christmas somehow God might peel back our spiritual blindness and we would look again on his wonder and his love demonstrated in his coming, in his death, and in his resurrection. We have a wonderful Savior. Not only is he wonderful, he's counselor. At some point or another, we all need counsel. Amen? At some point or another, we always need to look to somebody else for wisdom and help and, and guidance. Unfortunately, the problem with that is no matter how good the counselor you find, they don't hit the bullseye 100% of the time. Why? Because just like you, they're a sinner. No matter how educated they might be, no matter how experienced they might be, they're human, they're limited, they're flawed. But folks, this is what makes Jesus such a wonderful counselor. His perspective is infinite. His resources are unlimited. His experience involves a lifetime on earth during which he experienced the same trials and the same temptations that we face, and yet he was without sin. Who in the world could be better qualified to guide us and give us direction for life than Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, if I'm going to get some financial advice for somebody, I want to know they're doing pretty well financially themselves. I want to know their track record on their own finances. If I'm going to go get marriage counseling, I want to know how's this person doing in their own marriage. Can I tell you, when it comes to the counselor of Jesus Christ, we got a man who is perfect. The author of Hebrews said it this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. So it says he's got a perfect track record. 
And then he says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Any of y'all need some help or counsel this Christmas? Can I tell you, it's just fine to find some other folks. But ultimately, the great counselor, the only good and perfect counselor is King Jesus. We go to him. In fact, in Psalm 19, um, Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know why I love that verse? Because I'm a simple person. And what that scripture tells me is no matter how simple you might be, if you know Jesus Christ and you have his word, then you have an infinite resource of wisdom and knowledge in your life. That you can be a high school dropout and have infinite wisdom. On the other side of this, you can have more degrees than your thermometer and then, and then be a, lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You ever met some educated idiots? We've all met them. We know them. But we also probably have some folks in our lives that this world couldn't consider them educated at all. But they are remarkably wise because they know Christ and they know his truth and his word. What a wonderful counsel that God has given to us. Not only is he a wonderful counsel, he's a mighty God. The Hebrew word for mighty is a derivative for the word hero. Meaning in Christ we have a hero. And and we're all looking for heroes. There's nothing wrong with having some earthly heroes. Heroes that challenge us. And we're always looking for men and women in our life who are heroes that point us to Christ. I got a lot of heroes in that way in my life. But here's the warning. Earthly heroes will let you down because like you, they are sinners. Many of our heroes will fail to deliver on their promises. Jesus, on the the other hand, is the hero who never fails. He will never let you down. You know what scripture, there's a phrase in scripture that I see repeated over and over again. Those who hope in him will not be disappointed. I've never met anybody who trusted in Christ and was disappointed. He is a mighty God. He's mighty. He's all-powerful. Isn't it good to know That the power of all, when you trust in Jesus Christ, the power of almighty God stands with you. What a savior. Mighty God. Then it goes on. Everlasting father. Everlasting father. I love that word everlasting. It's so important. Because see, if you're going to have a savior, if you're going to have a father, if you're going to have a counselor, an ultimate hero... It's kind of nice to have somebody who got here before you. I'm I'm at a point in my life when I go to counsel and wisdom for folks, I'm looking for somebody who's got a little more gray hair than me. Sometimes a little less hair than me. But I want somebody who's gone before me. But wouldn't it be nice if we had somebody who was there at the beginning? Not only wouldn't it be nice if we had somebody somebody who was before the beginning. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Savior through whom everything was made? 
and apart from him, nothing was made. Isn't it good to know that we have a Savior who's not a seminary graduate? Isn't it good to know we have a Savior who doesn't need to consult a book because he is the book? Isn't it good to know we, we got a Savior who doesn't have to consult a library because he is the library? Someone who's eternal. Someone who's defeated the grave. See, it's a bad deal if you've got to go to your Savior's funeral. I don't want a Savior who beats me in death. I need somebody who was there at the beginning. Someone who is eternal. Someone who can walk with me. Someone If I'm going to have a Savior, I want someone who can come to me at the moment of death. Who can come to me at that moment and say, it's okay. I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death because I've been there. And I made it through the other side. Somebody at that moment that's got a steady hand and will look me in the eyes and say, it's all right, I'll lead you home. That's the kind of Savior I want. That's the Savior we have in Jesus. He's everlasting. He's our Father. He's an everlasting Father. He gives us life. Our earthly Father gave us earthly life. Jesus alone makes it possible for spiritual life. All of us need a a spiritual birth. There's only one person who makes spiritual birth possible, and his name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Who else, who else can make it possible for a rebel to be brought to faith in Christ? For a criminal to be, to be turned in a new direction? A professed atheist to become a believer? An adherent of false religion to be persuaded of the truthfulness of the gospel? Someone who seems to have everything find out they've got nothing if they don't have Jesus. A religious person to stop trusting their own goodness and start trusting in the goodness of Jesus Christ. That is what our Savior does. Nothing is too difficult for him. He's an unmatched Savior. He gives us life. Not only as our everlasting Father does he give us life, but he provides for us. A good earthly father provides for his family. Can I tell you, we've got an everlasting Father who provides every one of our needs. Paul said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, A good earthly father, you know what else a good earthly father does? They protect their family. Recently, in several of the funerals that I've done, I, I just... It has impressed me that I've been a part of funerals with men who their families, I've just heard a, at least a couple of families just say recently with the passing of a man, a, a, a husband, a father, a grandfather who was kind of the patriarch of the family. And I heard them say things like this, that this, this man, as long he was, as he was there, even though he as he got older and he got frail, just, just knowing he was there made them feel safe. Isn't that a good father? A man who makes his family feel safe. He protects them. Can I tell you, we got an 
everlasting Father who provides ultimate protection and safety and security. Jesus says, all the Father who gives to me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I'll certainly not cast out, but I'll raise him up on the last day. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have an eternal security that is guaranteed. He is an everlasting father. And finally, good fathers, you know what they do? They discipline their children, don't they? Does God discipline his children? Yeah. Every time I read this passage, I think of uh, some of you guys will remember this name, Ricky Rooks. He, uh, uh, when he was here, they moved down to Florida. Now Ricky was uh, coaching upward basketball when our boys came over here, and he was coaching the team. And Ricky, uh, before they started the season, he would tell the parents, he said, it won't be hard to figure out which boy is mine. It'll be the one I get on to most. And he was reminding something we all know. You, you don't discipline children that are not yours. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God loves you too much to leave you where you are, and he will discipline you as a perfect heavenly father. This is the Savior that we worship. He's an, he's an unmatched Savior. And then finally, this title, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Men want peace desperately. They, they sit around tables and they, they negotiate for peace. Right now, in our world today, uh, Ukraine and Russia and, and the Middle East with Israel and Hamas, they, they, we long for somebody who could just step into that situation and bring about peace. We're always looking for that person. And we got politicians who promise us, well, you put me in there, I didn't work it all out. Listen to me. There's only one person who can truly bring peace, and it's King Jesus. And peace is not an absence of conflict. Peace is somebody who puts down the conflict and then establishes his kingdom on righteousness and justice. And that person is King Jesus. Know this today. As long as we're in this world, um, we're searching for utopia. You know what the word utopia means? You is the negative prefix. Topia means place. It's no place. Not in this world. But can I tell you, if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. If you don't know Christ this morning, you are at enmity with God. You are a sinner. You're an object of wrath. You're a child of disobedience. But do you know what God does in your disobedience and in your rebellion? He gets down on your level. And he says, I could kill you. That's what you deserve. But he says, come to me. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's peace. And God gets rid of his enemies by making us his friends through faith in Jesus Christ. Today you can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only can you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. That's what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4 when he talks about the peace that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That as we walk in fellowship with God and obedience to his word, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Meaning that you can have a peace available to you today that's not based on your bank account. It's not based on your health condition. It's not based on your job status it's based on the fact that you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and he was with you and he will never ever leave you you want peace today it can only be found in Jesus Christ now the ultimate picture here that that Isaiah is painting is the picture of the peace that Christ will bring when he puts down the rod of the oppressor we talked about it last week in Revelation 19 
when Christ comes and he puts down his, his enemies and he establishes his kingdom on earth. That is when this world will know peace and Christ will rule over the earth in righteousness and justice. You and I in Christ, we have an unmatched Savior. The final thing we see is that our hope in Christ will bring an unending kingdom. Look at verse 7. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with righteousness and justice from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I think, I really believe that everyone longs for a king. When you think about all the great fairy tales, a good bit of them involve a king, don't they? We just long for a king, but nobody on this earth can live up to it. It's why I love the governmental system that we have here in the United States because it recognizes men are corrupt and so we provide a system of accountability so that we can uh, hold off evil as long as we possibly can in the hearts of men. But we long for a king. We want somebody who will come and rule in righteousness and peace. That king is King, king Jesus. And one day when he returns, the great hope <laughs> no more politics and no more religion, only Jesus Christ, priest and king. Amen? And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And I love that last phrase. There's so much there we could talk about. But it says, the zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That word zeal, it involves kind of a, a holy jealousy, that we have a jealous God. You, you ever been jealous for something, a desire to have something, a passion to have something entirely for yourself with, with no rivals? That is what Isaiah sa is saying about the birth of Christ. It, it's, it's the extraordinary links that God would go to to have a people for himself. And Peter describes the Old Testament... Uh, uh, a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God is passionate about having a people for himself. But you can make it even more personal this is the extent to which God was prepared to go to have a relationship with you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, when we think about the incarnation of Christ, that although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to. Meaning that when it came to your salvation. His glory is, is not something that he said, I'll not let go of this. That when it came to your salvation, it came, it came down to your salvation or his glory. He couldn't have both. He couldn't achieve our salvation and remain in glory. In order to achieve our salvation, he had to put off the glory 
he had to become an embryo and be born in a manger, in a feed trough, as low as you could come, experience all the frailties and the pains of humanity, live a perfect and sinless life, and become obedient to the point of death. He was willing to show himself in weakness. He was willing to show himself in humility to the point of, of, of being crucified on a cross, executed as a criminal. Can you imagine going to a cross committed and accused and, 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 and publicly shamed as a criminal, all the while you know you're the perfect Lamb of God. And he bore that shame and he bore that humility in order to have a relationship for, with you. That's what it means when it says the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. I say that's how passionate God is about having a relationship with you. You see the picture that we have here? This, this is, a, this is an, un, an unmatched Savior. Everyone today is looking for, I think there is a, almost a universal acknowledgement that we need saving, that we're broke. That we need a now we might argue about who that savior is or, or, or where that savior comes from, but we, we have kind of a universal agreement that we need a savior. And what Isaiah is saying is that savior is Jesus. And there's no one else like him. He and he alone can give you light in the midst of your darkness. He defeated the darkness. He and he alone can give you true and eternal joy. He and he alone has defeated the enemies of sin, Satan, and death in his resurrection. He's the child who was born, the son of God who died for your sins, the king of kings who defeated the grave, the savior of the world who is seated at the right hand of God, the savior who is coming back. And there'll be no end to the increase of his government and peace. And he'll sit on the throne of David forever. Are you looking for a savior today? Look to Jesus. You know, uh, if you're going to have a savior, you might as well have the best. You know, you think about buying something in your life, and sometimes you say, well, I'd like to have the best, I just can't afford it. But listen, if you're going to have a savior, when it comes to your eternal salvation, you might as well have the best. I may not have the best house in Kansas City, might not drive the best truck, may not wear the best clothes, but I tell you today, I got the best Savior. And you can have him too. Because you don't have to pay for it. He did all the work, paid all the price. Today you can receive him as a free gift of grace by faith. Isn't that good? I don't know what your background, where you come from, who your family is, but we can all have the same Savior, the best Savior, Jesus Christ today, on the basis of faith. Do you know him? Trust him today. Lord, we thank you for your word today that speaks to us of our unmatched Savior, the only hope of the world. Lord, I, I, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, that 
God, we, we stand here today. I know we could all give testimony. We're, the fact of the matter is, you, you didn't call us to be salespeople. God, you didn't ask us to be a bunch of pushy salespeople trying to push somebody on other people. God, we're not pushy salespeople. We're, we're just satisfied customers. We recognized we needed a Savior. We ran to Jesus, and we, we found forgiveness. We found hope. We found freedom. We found security. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, you draw them today. You say your kindness leads us to repentance. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would overwhelm them with your love. You would overwhelm them with your beauty. You would overwhelm them with your grace so that they couldn't help but run to you. God, for those of us that do know you, God, help us to never never get over the wonder of our Savior Jesus. Help us to not be like, like Martha this Christmas who's busy with, with so many things that, that we never just stop and sit at the feet of Jesus and wonder again at the glory of his incarnation, his perfect and sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. Lord, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.